Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Which is, is not a PG, EG, or even an R-rated show. I barely talk today. I don't know what's wrong. I screwed up the time of the show. I can't speak. Maybe that's a good sign. Um, Desperate House Switches is brought to you by the amazing, incredible, utterly wicked Dorothy Morrison. Please check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witching needs. Get the 2022 Blessing Balls while you can. They are available into January. They make a wonderful gift. And like your Auntie Raina always says, buy your balls in pairs. Anyway, (laughs) not sure if I got the intro part out where it says I curse a lot. But you all know that because you tuned in. And I think some of you people are tuning in because I curse a lot. So fair play to you. Anyway, my guest for the hour is the wonderful author of of Magical Mediumship. I really can't talk. The amazing Danielle Dion. Hi, my dear. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Rena. Oh, my gosh. It's It's been a minute. There's been a lot going on in your life. And we've been, you know, folks who know you have been a bit concerned. Give give everybody the catch-up on what's been going on with you since our last visit, which is, I think, about a year ago at this point. Yeah, I think it must have been um, right before Magical Mediumship was coming out. So, yeah, it's been quite an eventful year. Uh, not as I anticipated, but I think, you know, nonetheless uh, – part of my path. So uh, Magical Mediumship is, you know, about partnering with the ancestors for healing and spiritual development. And uh, after it came out, the beginning of the year, I started to uh, not feel super great. And basically, I was diagnosed with this uh, fun and exciting rare blood disorder. And so most of the year has really been spent kind of refocusing on, you know, healing uh, myself and, you know, refocusing on home and, kind of realigning uh, my path in a lot of ways. So uh, as awesome as it's been to have the book out, and I've had such a really great response, and I'm really so grateful for that. Um, yeah, it, it did not take me to where I thought I might be, uh, you know, connecting and, and teaching and, uh, you know, sharing magical mediumship out in the world, but has been a little bit more solitary. But I'm happy to be here, and things are going well. Health-wise, things are, you know, looking good, and I'm excited to kind of get back into chatting with folks and teaching and all of that kind of fun thing. (laughs) Which is amazing. Um, So let me ask you, was it a situation where you think this may have happened because you were on the wrong path or you merely needed to refocus on home? Because I find that sometimes these things happen and coincide with 
other things you're supposed to be paying attention to in your life? Yeah, I think that that is definitely part of it. I don't so much think that I was on the wrong path, but actually I really don't think there's any coincidence that this happened. I started my uh, the seminary program with the Temple of Witchcraft, so their year five of their mystery school is a, um, an intensive where you start with sort of an eight-week descent of the goddess, you meet weekly, and then you are, then it's followed by a year of um, working kind of solarly and you meet monthly. And so <laughs> this started... Uh, I started to have symptoms the first week that I started on that path. And so I think for me, the, the, there's a lot of, um, you know, focus on what do you want to be doing in the world? What is your role as a priestess? Uh, you know, really kind of exploring what you've learned up until this point and then kind of where you see yourself going. So uh, I don't think it's coincidental. I think it has been very much an initiatory experience. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. lined up so, you know, uh, wildly with astrological events in my life. Uh, I had a stroke on Mother's Day, <laughs> uh, which I think is also really interesting. And that's where I, and I found out that I had this blood disorder. So it has, I, I think it has a lot of ties to the work that I do in the world. I don't think it's, you know, because I was doing anything wrong per se, but I think it does, it, it's given me a chance to confront mortality in a different way and to really quite literally focus on healing the blood. So um, I think it's been powerful. I think that this is something that, you know, moving forward, I've been incredibly lucky to be in the right place at the right time. So even though it's been scary and, you know, it it was really scary when it happened, uh, it's just sort of lined up where I've had the right, you know, doctors uh, that that know about this disease because not many people do uh, and able to treat it down in Boston, which has been great. And, uh, yeah, so far so good. I haven't relapsed. So I've been home. Uh, It's Actually, we just hit the six-month mark since my uh, last uh, big treatment. So we're hoping that things hold and, and we'll be kind of in the clear come June is, is the anticipation. So again, it's interesting that it all wraps up right at the end of my program too. <laughs> wow, so many things happening at once. And I think it's mm-hmm. fascinating that, you know, there's, there's no rhyme or reason, but there always seems to be one in retrospect when things happen a certain way for certain reasons. Um, yeah. I know it's all very, it seems very random, but I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that these events coordinate with certain dates in your life. Yeah. Um, just as an in, the point of interest, not necessarily, and in no way, shape, or form do you quote-unquote deserve any kind of illness. You're such a wonderful person. I don't really think anybody deserves specifically illness unless they've done things to, like, certainly hurt bunches of people. Trump would be a perfect candidate, in my opinion, but that's just my opinion. Um, <laughs> and I have reasons. I share. But, you know, I just think, I think the world is an interesting, weird, wild place. As I had said to you earlier, you gave me quite a scary young lady. Um, we were concerned. But we are yeah. so happy to hear you and know that you're on the path to healing and more teaching and hopefully more writing. So since you've been recovering, it sounds like you've been recovering super well today, um, what have you been doing since the last time we spoke in addition to that healing and, and learning more about what condition is and all of that? 
Yeah, so honestly, it's really been the last couple of months that I've been kind of up and, uh, you know, kind of refinding my footing. But I think through all of this, I've been incredibly lucky to be on the farm um, and that I had a great support system in my family and my community and with my partner. So they were able to take over a lot of the responsibilities that I had in running, um, you know, Crossroads Farm. So doing lots of, you know, cow chores and, and farm chores. So uh, it was sort of enjoying that sort of being a little bit disgruntled in the process of not being able to be 100% uh, back once I was home. And yeah. so I think, yeah, this kind of taking time for that reflection was meaningful and powerful and something that I don't really love to do. Like I don't like to sit still. I like to be busy. I like to, you know, have my hand in everything. And I really had to kind of take it easy. But uh, since then, it's given me time to kind of ponder. I have been, I was actually before I got sick working on, uh, you know, book number two. So I've taken a little bit of a writing hiatus. And I'm kind of, I'm actually back into the, the space of revisiting you know, what's the work that I, I was doing, is that still really aligned with where I want to, you know, um, see myself going. So I'm taking time. Book two will be out eventually. I'm not going to set myself up for any timelines like I had anticipated. But uh, right. that's been fun to kind of rediscover, you know, uh, to writing things. Um, because I journaled a little bit throughout this process, uh, but it was so hit or miss because I felt so sick a lot of the time that, uh, there's many things I wish I had documented more that I didn't, but um, what I did I am really grateful for. But, yeah, so I think, you know, I've been doing a reduced schedule, so I've been seeing clients, um, which honestly has been so amazing. Like I was very uh, coming back, you know, in, into the space of being able to connect for people. I was very clear in my divinations and connection with spirit, you know, what am I able to do right now? And so very clearly getting the message that, yes, you can do, you know, the psychic and mediumship side of things, no healing, no doing herbalism for other people at this moment, like really just kind of focusing on, um, you know, reduced schedule and uh, sitting with people in, in, in this capacity. And so that's been sort of a constant kind of check-in with for me. But uh, it's been awesome. I've, I've, I've enjoyed connecting with people because it is a little bit lonesome to be, you know, isolated because I haven't been really out in the world. Well, the world, you know, in some ways kind of opened back up over the summer. I was uh, very immune suppressed, so I've been, uh, you know, kind of hunkered down here. But uh, I've actually really enjoyed that time and, and being able to observe the seasons and sitting outside and just taking time uh, has been has been awesome. So, yeah, so that's kind of, uh, kind of where I've been, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally, I totally understand that. I have um, an autoimmune disease. I have Crohn's disease, so I, I totally get, um, you know, the idea that the universe is like, okay, you can now do this and not do that. You know what I mean? And it does make you, or it did for you, the general you. It does make you refocus and think about, okay, well, you're doing this, but how important is this aspect of your life? are you really serious about this? Because you're not going to be able to do everything anymore. So I'm yes. also learning, the, you know, okay, you can do this much of this, but not that much of this. Like in the new year, I'm trying to pare it down so that I'm only on the air once or twice a week, not twice a week plus Sundays. You know what I mean? It's like it is time for me to also take better care of myself because, you know, when the pandemic hit and all of the, all of the, the events closed down, as it were, 
folks were having a hard time because a lot of people were making money at events, selling books, meeting people, doing classes, and all of that in person. So I was like, well, how can I help out in this regard? So I started booking extra, extra shows. Like uh, there were there were points in time last year where I was doing two shows a day. Mm. Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm grateful that things are yeah. improving so that, you know, in my small capacity, I can step back a little bit and be a little more focused on family and health care. But you've got a farm. I mean, you've got not just what you do in the community and, you know, your teaching and your writing, but you have a farm. That's a huge thing. It is. And I totally, uh, you know, feel you on the – you know, coming back and really prioritizing what is most important. And I think you kind of, you know, hit the nail on the head, too, where, you know, we did kind of come into the pandemic and, uh, you know, trying to – I think that changed everybody so drastically. You know, I used to have an event space uh, at Moth and Moon Studio, and so trying to bring all of that online, really kind of looking at, you know, did I want to continue to – to really focus on that, or is that kind of shifting for me? And that's one of the things that's kind of come up over this past year about how I want to kind of continue on. And I think you can only, you know, bite off so much. Uh, and it, it is good to kind of realign, to relook at things, to kind of take a step back and say, what can I do in the world? But, you know, I can't pour from an empty cup. So I think it's great uh, exactly. that you are, are, are kind of taking that time. Yeah, and farm for me is, like, a priority. Like, I really enjoy it. And I think that has been one of the things that has, you know, throughout all of this was, like, this is a lot of work. Like, do you really want to, you know, continue this in the, the way that you have been? And so, um, uh-huh. yeah, and it, and it is. <laughs> so that's kind of staying a priority. We're in a little bit of a space of, um, you know, trying to figure out for 2022 how much we want to take on. Over the past cycle, we raised, uh, you know, meat pigs for the first time, and we just kind of, uh, you know, finished that journey with uh, some of them. And I have some pigs that are staying on as, as farm buddies because I'm a failed farmer, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, trying to, trying to, like, look at things and say you don't have to go incredibly big. And that's never been really my intention with a farm, but, you know, from the, looking at the studio perspective of things or other work that I do, sometimes it is go big or go home. And now it's kind of like maybe focus on the go home. And, like, you don't have to, you know, do everything. Find what really brings you joy, really is something that you are, you know, aflame with passion for and do those things. And for me, it's definitely been readings. I'm looking forward to teaching, but I also know that right now it's not a good time for me to, to pick that back up. My intention is to do that this spring. So hopefully March that will be kind of, uh, you know, a priority again, doing more regular development groups and mentoring because I've kind of taken the year off from yeah. that uh, just because of everything that happened. But, uh, sure. yeah, the farm has just been super, super comforting and connecting for me. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, without my animals, too, in a lot of ways, it might be a really lonely time, but I don't feel that way because I have, uh, you know, a, a barn full of, of creatures to, you know, connect with and commune with and go out and, you know, make sure I'm taking care of. So that's been rewarding. That's great. So, um, you know, interesting about your your illness, can you tell me, just for folks who may not be familiar, which would be me, um, because things come on in different ways, did you have any indication um, prior to 
being hospitalized? Were, were there signs that maybe you had missed that you went back and thought maybe I should have paid attention to that particular symptom? Yeah, I knew that I had, I've had autoimmune issues in the past. I had been really kind of good to go pretty much for about 10 years. Minus, you know, yeah. like I was a, a barometer, you know, if it was going to rain, I was like, oh, it's going to rain. So having my weather prediction uh, internalized. Uh, but I started to kind of get arthritic symptoms. And so kind of the same things that I had experienced before. I had, went, I had started going back to a rheumatologist and going to my doctor. And, again, we knew something was up. But, again, we didn't really have a particular name for it. So we were just kind of yeah. watching it from a rheumatology perspective. And the disease that, this ease that I have, the blood disorder that I have is um, called TTP. And it is something, it's an acute form of it. There's a, there's a um, congenital form, but what I have is acute. So they don't know what brings it on. It's something that happens. Uh, it can be very related to, you know, um, autoimmune disorder. So it's not uncommon for somebody who has TTP to have underlying autoimmune issues. It is an autoimmune blood disorder, so it's, it's your, you know, uh, blood cells being, uh, your, your platelets are basically not functioning in the way they are, and they're attacking themselves and breaking them down. <laughs> so there wasn't really any sign for that. TTP kind of happens, and it happens and hits quick. So I basically started to turn yellow on a Friday, which is interesting because I had some Jupiter <laughs> transits happening on that day uh, in a big way. It was yeah. fascinating. And then uh, two days later, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I felt okay enough because I had just been, you know, kind of feeling generally crappy for months. So I was like, well, that's interesting. I'll see my primary care on Monday. And then I was cooking dinner on Sunday, and I just started to feel really weird. And then uh, I, in a prior life, I worked at a hospital, and I was a stroke coordinator for the, for the hospital. So I'm very familiar with, you know, stroke signs and fast or feast or be fast. There's all kinds of different um, ways to look, you know, and tell if you are having a stroke. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm having a stroke. Awesome. So uh, that's really kind of what, what spearheaded me into recognizing that it was TGP. And so symptomatically, it came on very quickly. You know, I had some bruising, uh, and, you know, it basically got little blood clots. There's little blood clots and little blood um, bleeds is kind of uh, the symptomatic piece of TGP. So... Once I kind of went to the hospital, I realized, yeah, I thought these were puppy bites, but they, are, they, they aren't. They are petechia, so something is going on. And I was very lucky, too, that the, the, I went to the hospital that I worked at for seven years that I used to be the director of quality at and infection prevention and uh, education. So it was really a wow. kind of weird, surreal experience. I was with nurses that I had, you know, traveled with and, you know, were friends with, and it was kind of, ha-ha, we're joking, and then, holy crap, something is really wrong. Um, <laughs> To the point that if I had waited another 12 hours, I would have been dead. So grateful for that, that you know, quick response and the fact that this little you know community hospital in my you know near my hometown recognized that it was this really rare disorder and you know shipped me off right away and, and saved my life. So yeah, I think I didn't necessarily miss anything, but I'm not sure what caused it. But I think at the same time, you know, uh, sometimes when we embark on a magical path. Uh, magical things happen and uh you know whether that is catalyzed by the work that i was doing whether this was sort of necessary for me on my path i, I kind of look at it that way one of the things that yeah. uh, really struck me coming home from the hospital and thinking about it uh there's there's not many people who have ttp i think it's like one in three million or uh three in a million it's one of the one in three there are, are significant numbers i actually try not to dwell too much on the diagnosis um as part of kind of like healing from it 
but uh, people in the community say TPP represents trust the process. And I'm like, oh, that was like shookest when I heard that because it really does feel like I am, you know, trusting the work that I am doing in the world uh, and trusting the initiatory path that I'm on. So I do feel like it really lines up and correlates in that way. Yeah, and that, that was actually what I was badly asking earlier. You just completely answered what I what I was trying to word very badly, so I apologize. Um, but yes, that does align, and it does make sense. And I just want to remind folks who are listening, please don't ignore any unusual symptoms. If you are feeling poorly in, in some odd or extensive way or more often than normal, um, it may not just be stress. You might actually have something wrong. Please get it checked out. Because I think we have this tendency um, to ignore symptoms. Yes. Yes. And that, like, we are very divorced, you know, in, from mind and body. I think societally we're sort of, you know, taught to, you know, go to work anyway and do as much, you know, as you can, even if you're, you know, finding physical limitation, just push through it. And that's not, you know, we really want to be in alignment and connection, you know, with our body and trusting that we feel something. So I think it's really hard, too, when people have autoimmune disorders, because that had been my experience before, feeling like this is happening to me, this is real, and then not necessarily having a diagnosis or really being able to find anything that points to anything, but knowing that something is off. And so I was frustrated. Like, I didn't go to the, the doctor that Friday night because I'm like, well, whatever, I keep going, and they don't have any answers for me. There's nothing that they can really solve, uh, so I'll just kind of, you know, wait till something happens. But if you, especially if you're experiencing something as drastic as, you know, heart attack symptoms or stroke symptoms, pay attention to those. Like, do not hesitate if you are, you know, even thinking that, go to the hospital, because if I hadn't, I would have been dead. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that you're not dead, as I'm sure are lots and lots and lots of people um, and animals. And, you know, yes. I mean, you're you're such a wonderful member of the community, and, and I was really kind of shaken. You know, I'm, I'm quite a bit older and a lot closer to death in a natural way uh, for my age, and that's fine. But, you know, when a young person suddenly becomes ill and it's all touch and go for a minute and we don't know what's going on and it's nerve-wracking and it's scary... You know, it just brings home for all of us the idea that we're not here forever. And, you know, it was certainly a wake-up call for me to reexamine just how happy am I in doing what I do in my daily life, having nothing to do with, you know, my involvement with having a show or, you know, being a member of community. I'm talking about my mundane shit uh, that makes me crazy. And, you know, we're, I'm, I'm taking steps to try to figure out, well, you know, I'm 60 years old. How much more of my life do I want to spend unhappy or stressed or just fucking miserable? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when somebody gets ill, it kind of, wait, it kind of shakes us all a little bit uh, to maybe consider, you know, what are you doing with your life? Is it a good thing you're doing with your life? Are you happy with what you're doing? So, you know, it, it, if nothing else, it kind of makes us all wake up a little bit and realize that maybe things have to change in our own lives. 
Totally. And it's funny because that's been my mantra in so many ways is like, you know, think, confront mortality, think about your mortality, know that, you know, tomorrow is not guaranteed. And so I write about that in the book and I talk about, you know, making plans, having an advanced directive, uh, telling your loved ones, communicating with them what you would want. And that I was really face to face with that, which I, in many ways I was like, hell yeah, thanks, thank you me for like doing this because I have, I felt really happy and complete in a lot of the um, direction that I would be able to give you know, my loved ones and everything for everything from, you know, here's a, a potential draft of an obituary to, you know, here's my, you know, what I want done with my stuff and my, you know, financial documents and uh, my magical tools and all of those things. Um, but yeah. what I wasn't really prepared for, and actually it was, it, this is a horrible sort of situation and I, I laugh at it, but at my partner, I just feel terrible for them. My partner is not as, uh, you know, excited about death or, you know, confronting immortality as I might be. So this is COVID. Sure. So this is happening in the midst of you can't come with me. So I am getting in an ambulance. I'm getting a blood transfusion as we go. I'm about to like go down to an emergency room in Boston and being met with like a research team and he can't come with me. And so um, I'm leaving him in a parking lot and I'm saying to him as I get into the ambulance, like, hey, if I die, I know my plan says I want a natural funeral. I want, you know, to be waked in my home. I know it's COVID. If I have to be cremated, it's totally okay. You don't have to follow everything. Don't feel bad. And he's like, what the fuck? Um, so, like, it maybe it wasn't super yeah. comforting for him, but that's what I mind when I didn't want to, like, leave him with this, like, you know, horrific, I can't follow her, like, really well laid out wishes. So it did cause me to, to like, want to actually update my plan and say, you know what, this is what I want in the best situation possible, but if it doesn't happen, I'm not going to be hung up on it. Um, so, yes. And, and I think, too, what you said, uh, it really does, it, what it was for me was jarring. Like, my partner was, um, like, in a space where he was working, like, constantly. He worked, like, seven days a week. I hardly saw him. I was at home, you know, doing work and then being on the farm, but it was, like, a really trying and frustrating time for us leading up to this. And the fact that I was sick, I think it was just sort of this, like, annoyance because we didn't know what was wrong. And you get in your head, too, when you're, like, am I really sick? Like, is, am I just faking this? Like, you know, you, you kind of get into your mind about it. And so when this happened, like, he was unbelievably, like, my rock in this situation. And, like, it solidified us in so many ways that were so good for us that, like, it sucks that a, you know, a catastrophic event had to kind of give us that, that perspective of things. Because we've been together a long time. We've been together since we were, like, 17, 18. And we've had many iterations of self in, in that time. But, uh, it was so, like, we were, like, I don't know. We were on the same page. He was just so solid for me, and it really helped prioritize. You know, he, he's a, he manages a team, and basically he didn't go to work for a month. He's like, I'm not coming back in. I'm leaving my laptop. Forget this, uh, which is incredible that he can even do that. So he's, we're very lucky and fortunate because I know that is not everybody's case. Um, and But he was working so much overtime, he basically came back with the mindset for his team and him that nobody should work weekends, nobody should work overtime. If you can, you know, even if things don't get done, prioritize your life because it is not guaranteed. And uh, that was really like, I don't know, it was really profound for both of us. And he has, you know, he has shifted and I have shifted, I think, because of it. And it also gave us, you know, pause to say, you know, is this what we want to do with our lives? Are there any, is there anything that we want to change? Are we, you know... Um, for one of the things that kind of came up for us too is that this, you know, through this process, I can't have biological children, which was sort of always a question of like maybe at some point, you know, when the right time comes. But I'm going to be 36, you know, in a couple of months, and uh, you know, t time was ticking. So 
having that uh, not necessarily taken away from me, but, you know, something to face as part of this, which, again, I think is really fascinating with my ancestral um, healing process, which is like a whole mind fucking itself, right? Like that this is such an important part of my life that, you know, we're not necessarily going to further a bloodline, which is totally fine, which I have always, you know, considered adoption as an option if we ever got to that place. But basically we've kind of started uh, the process to look into 2022 to do some fostering um, potentially. You know, again, i got to be careful with the health things and everything, but um, sure. really kind of looking at, you know, do we want to bring a child into our home? And does it have to be a baby? Could it be an older child? So we're kind of in the process of navigating and working with the state. So I'm excited to see what that holds. That's amazing. That's and, amazing. you know, the idea, I and it's odd. I have two sons who are adults. And at this point, um, I have been very clear in, and very public about the fact that if I had it to do again, I wouldn't. <laughs> Having children is a, a lovely thing, I think, in the abstract. I think more people actually... Um, don't think about the, the bones and reality and heartbreak and constant involvement that is necessary to be a parent. I advise both of my children absolutely do not have kids. You don't need them. You don't really want them. You're not getting pressure from my side. Um, I come from a world where that's just what you did. You weren't asked. Yeah, yep. You were, you were basically told. And while I love my children and would walk over broken glass for them, if given the ability to go and redo everything in my life as far as they go, I would. And they know it. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's I, And I think it's not anything that you can, you know, ever imagine and, and uh, you know, I think that was one of the reasons, too, that we, you know, you, you think, like, what is the perfect time? There is no perfect time, and it is hard, and I, I can't imagine because I'm not a parent yet, but, uh, yeah, that's a, it's a big thing. I think the idea of adopting or fostering is some, I mean, you have to have such a huge heart for that because it's a totally, it's the same thing. You're still a parent. But, man, the patience involved is exponentially higher. And the giving of yourself and your love to heal someone who might already be damaged by previous events, wow. You, yeah, that's, it's, wow. That's it's next a huge level. thing. That's next level. Yeah, basically they say, um, you know, we've, been, we've reached out over the past, actually, you know, I don't know, more than six months, because we actually kind of were thinking of this a little bit before, and then it was, you know, all right, well, that's the only way if we're going to do something, um, is that every single child that you are, you know, going to interact with through foster or foster to adopt has trauma, um, has experienced abuse or neglect, and that it is, uh, you know, there's there's so much out there from a perspective of, um, like, research that's done on it from whether, you know, before the person is born to when they're born to whatever experiences they've had, uh, you know, in the system or prior to being in the system. It's a lot. And it is, uh, yeah, we've been talking to people and 
listening to many blogs and reading and listening to many audio books. And it's also really depressing in many aspects, but uh, it's something that we, you know, continue to, to feel into and evaluate. And I think, you know, I could see this being part of our path in a really profound and meaningful way, uh, which is really cool. And you have so much, I mean, you're such a loving person and I, I'm not familiar with your, your partner, but I can't imagine that they would be anything less for you. Um, so, I mean, what a wonderful household to bring in someone to nurture and heal and, and help down their path. I think that's just so beautiful, and I, I wish I had that kind of heart. I don't, and I, which is why I don't do it. And I admit it because I'm very clear about my shortcomings, and there are a lot of them. Uh, so I just give you so much credit and, and wish I could be you. I really do. I wish oh, I had well, that kind of heart. I don't. <laughs> well, we will see. I mean, it is, I'm sure, going to be absolutely trying. And, you know, they say prepare your heart because there's, you know, heartbreak in that. And they're, you know, it's, it's. It's a big to-do, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think this is yeah. something I'm really passionate and excited about. And I know my partner, you know, has wanted to be, uh, you know, a parent forever, and I've been, you know, oh, yeah, I think so, but, again, when is the right time? And I will say, too, it's interesting as we are kind of navigating this process um, about how, like, not, yeah, I would say invasive, uh, like, going through it is. Like, they ask you questions about everything. I have to be very, I've been very upfront, like, hi, I'm an author, I'm a medium, I do this work, you know, spiritually. Uh, it's a very um, interesting, like, the, the demographic is a lot of, uh, like, Christian parents, like, a lot of people um, who are, you know, very religious in some aspects. So I was actually a little nervous about, you know, how am I going to be received? How is this going to go? Um, it's also lovely that I have been, uh, you know, there seems to be a really great um, gay and lesbian and just, you know, queer people representation, too, in the, in the program that we're sort of looking at. So that's been helpful because I was like, I don't know how we're going to be received, but you, you can't, you know, again, if there was ever an issue, you know, we have religious freedom. And so, yeah, that's been something that's been interesting to, to confront internally as we go through the process, just to be really, you know, confident and true to yourself. So as we go through, you know, home studies and things, I think we'll be tested even more on that front. So uh, TBD. <laughs> wow. I and, you know, I didn't even consider that aspect of it until you mentioned it because it tends to be a lot of the Catholic and Christian services that deal in this type of fostering situation. So I'm so glad that they have not dissuaded you. Um because it must be really difficult for folks like us to even be considered, you know, parent material. Yeah, so I think that's been something that I'm like, you know, I've been sitting with and, you know, bracing for. My partner is incredibly supportive. He is not a witch uh, and is not, you know, uh, is agnostic at best. Um, but it's like, why are you feeling so self-conscious? Like when I had been kind of wrestling with it at times, you know, like we have a super loving home. We're well set up for this. You know, there's no reason that you can't have your ancestor out prominently displayed. And like you can't have, you know, you can't, uh, you know, be who you are. So that's been really like great to, to feel, you know, support around. Um, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I love that because I am also with someone who is not, 
like us. He is a philosophical yeah. Buddhist, not a religious one. Therefore, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like all the religion in the house is mine. Um, and it's, it's an interesting mix. It seems that a lot of us are with folks who do not share our path. Yeah, I see that a lot. And um, I'm really fortunate, too, that, like, I, you know, have a really strong community uh, around, you know, my witchcraft and, and religious belief, uh, with the Temple of Witchcraft being, you know, in my backyard and being very connected with that group, um, as well as, you know, the other groups yeah. that I'm connected with online and, and you know, in the work in the world that I do. But, you know, my family is very, you know, uh, aware <laughs> of what I do and supportive and uh that's the good, but yeah, it is interesting to see the sort of you know witchy muggle, for lack of a better word, <laughs> uh, connections that are out there. Yeah, I don't know actually. I mean, that's not completely true, but the most of the witch relationships that I see are uh, mixed. I would say. Yeah, mixed yeah, I, I see the same. I do see the same. So tell me, catch me up on what's happening on the farm. You know I love cows. You know I love pigs. I have annoyed you more than once for pictures because I love the yeah. animals. What's happening yeah. on the farm? Yes, well, uh, it, well, it's been a, been a time. So I, I can't remember last time we talked if I had one cow or two cows or four cows, um, but we quickly went from being a one farm, uh, one cow farm uh, with our Ivy, our little Irish Dexter cow who I love. Um, she's very sassy, she's a little sassy girl. Um, so she was pregnant when we got her, and then we also, um, I don't know if I was on when I, when I had Shauna, but... Uh, Basically, I found myself, you know, we were focusing on heritage breed livestock, which is, uh, you know, these older breeds that, you know, came to the United States, uh, at least the carry cows um, that I I focused on, you know, came to the United States from Ireland. They have a a really long, rich history. They were one of the first dairy cows. They're a brilliant homestead cow. Um, But there's only, you know, there's only about 40, now there's about 40 to 50 of them in the United States. So they were really, you know, kind of on the brink of extinction in the world. I think there's only in the, you know, 250, probably moving up now because some people are, are, uh, you know, getting on on board with genetic preservation and um, trying to save this breed. So so I have a lovely cow mentor and uh, basically because I wanted to do milking with my cows, um, and Ivy was a little bit further out, and she also is in the process of being trained to be a milk cow. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a uh, 13-year-old Irish carry cow who was pregnant come to live on my farm. And so uh, we had her baby last year. She's almost a year old. Her name is Roisin Dove, which is Little Black Rose. And I just am in love. Like, carry cows are absolutely phenomenal. Um, I love Ivy, and I love, uh, you know, the, the Dexters are smaller. They're, like, only, you know, three, three and a half feet tall, so they look like little cows, and the Carries are um, bigger than they are, but still considered a relatively small breed when you look at some of the big breeds that are out there now. Um, but it's been, uh, yeah, so I was milking before I got sick and doing, you know, my dream of having uh, cow milk, because I've done goat milk in the past, but was really, you know, interested and excited to work with the cows. But then I had to give that up, uh, you know, when I started to get sick and arthritic where I couldn't use my hands and milk consistently. So that was a bummer. But uh, Shauna, so we had four cows. We went from one cow to two cows to four cows uh, because both of them had babies in a relatively uh, short amount of time. So uh, 
Shauna, our older cow, actually is on a, an exciting journey to help preserve her breed out in Wisconsin where there's a vet who um, is going to preserve her embryos and uh, she has some really unique uh, lineage to the Irish Terry cow. So she was sort of one of the um, remaining cows that's alive that has ties to the herds that are over in Ireland. Um, that haven't um, wow. been bred here wow. in the United States. So she was very fascinating, lucky. I um, So she's she's going away for about a year, which is like crazy, right? Uh, and so um, I have Ivy here right now. I have Roisin off being trained with my cow mentor for a little bit because I, as I was getting strength up again, she was like very friendly. She's halter trained, but she wasn't so great at like standing in a stanchion and all these things. So I have a support system around uh helping kind of get her a little bit more trained so I don't have to wrestle with her um, too much. <laughs> and uh, so she'll be back. So it'll basically be Ivy and Roisin on my farm. So that's my cow situation. <laughs> For those that are like, yeah. what are you doing? Uh, but two cows is much more manageable than four cows. Although I say that, and they're really, you know, people are like, oh, my gosh, it must be so hard. And I don't know. It's, to me, it's, it's not. And my partner was pretty good. He's not super... Uh, fans of large breed animals. He's more like, can't we get little sheep or, uh, you know, more goats because I can you know, at least pick them up if they're being strong-willed. Um, but uh, I'm so grateful because when I was in the hospital, I was like really intense on getting out because Shauna was supposed to leave initially in June and I wanted to be home for that date. So I had the whole like uh, care team at Brigham and Women's, like the top hematologists in the world, trying to get me out of there as quick as they could uh, so I could go home to my cow and say goodbye. I was known as like the cowgirl. Um, so that was special. Because I'm sure I could be known for many things, but I chose the cow side there. <laughs> so those are cows. Awesome. I, I, you know, I lived on a farm for a while, many, many years ago, and there was no cow tutor for us. We had, yeah. you know, beef cows, beef cows, and um, it's difficult, um, especially when it comes to butchering time, not to get too into it for folks who might get upset about that. But, I mean, it is a fact of life, and this is what they were raised for. And uh, just one night we had to do some butchering at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I had a flashlight in between my teeth and a knife in the other hand. So it was it was interesting. I had not ever done anything like that before, so it was a real learning experience. Um, yeah. And I will just say that when you grow something and it's time to, you know, use it for its purpose, it is such a, it's a magic thing. It is a, a grounding. It is a the essence of earth-based, and it is not something I would trade for anything in any of the things I've done on the farm. It was a real witch moment. I don't really know how to explain it, but you you live on a farm, you know, in a, in a real permanent sense, so I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm I'm, I'm sure you understand what I'm trying to explain. It is the yeah. essence of who we are. It's the essence of taking care of the earth and seeing how the Great Mother takes care of us. That's all I was trying to express. But tell me about my pigs. Yeah, so 
I totally resonate with what you're saying, and that's actually a really great, like, way to articulate it. And I think, you know, for me on the farm, we've had a lot of births, and we have a lot of deaths, too, because that's part of, you know, the other side of the coin. Um, and on farms, you know, like, yeah. not every baby survives. And uh, I got actually very attached to our pig litter that we had. So I had just been home recently from the hospital. I was still pretty sick. And honestly, I credit those piglets that we had um, with really getting me back on track because it gave me purpose in a way that I was needed. And um, so it was actually a really healing experience, although it was kind of a, a, a <laughs> I don't know, a shitty experience too. I had a lovely sow, Primrose, who I love, and we still have. I ended up, you know, farmer failing because we, you know, we were eventually, we were going to eat her, but we, I have said, no, she's just, I just love her too much. So she is a, a farm pig now. But she had babies, and yeah. um, she rejected them. She, you know, was not into the idea of being a mom. And uh, so she, you know, and that, that can happen. She had a very large litter, and she just, uh, you know, was not into the babies and, uh, you know, actually killed one of them. So we ended up taking the babies in and uh, working with my vet, and everything was going swell for about a week, and then... Um, at the suggestion of some uh, pig folks, we used a, a specific formula that you could get at the, you know, a, a, like a, a feed store. And what I've now come to learn, having been, you know, recently initiated into the um, underage piglet scene, which exists, <laughs> is that a lot of those um, store-bought, like, colostrum and milk replacements have bacteria in them. And so they got E. coli, which was really unfortunate. And uh, we basically ended up having two that survived. And um, so we had Big Betty and Teeny Weenie. Uh, Big Betty was the largest of the litter, and Teeny Weenie was the smallest. And uh, I got very attached to Teeny Weenie. Uh, and so, you know, they were living in my laundry room, and, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I had to feed them, like, every, like, two to three hours. And so around the clock, I'm kind of caring for them in the midst of being kind of sick as well. So, uh, you know, it, it was draining on my energy, but also, like, gave me purpose because I have these piglets. They rely on me. And uh, Teeny Weenie just became the love of my little heart, and uh, she was exceptional. Big Betty was kind of a train wreck from the beginning. She did not like being picked up. She was very, like, uh, you know, very dominant pig lady. Uh, so she would scream, and I'm like, I you know, you're my child. You know, why don't, you know my, my little pig, why don't you love me? And she just kind of, you know, marched into the beat of her own drug. Teeny Weenie was, like, the sweetest thing in the entire world. Um, and then, you know, long story short, as is often the case with Runt sometimes, she had a neurological disorder that, you know, I poured myself into trying to do, uh, you know, taking care of. Ironically, a lot of the same treatments that I had, like she was on tons of steroids. Um, she was on, you know, all, all kinds of things. My vet, you know, bless them because they are so good with me uh, and they're willing to work with me, but they're also like, you know, know that this may not end the way you want it to. And um, in the end, you know, we thought it was a... a you know, a, a brain thing um, where, like, she would get over it, but it, it ended up being something that was congenital and, and staying. So we had to put her down, which was heartbreaking for me. So it was another lesson in mortality this year. Um, but we had Big Betty. So uh, <laughs> Big Betty now has a friend, Large Marge. Big Betty harasses my goats. Um, so, we, you know, the idea was that we would get her a friend and that, you know, the friend is super nice, and Big Betty is kind of a tyrant and bosses everyone around and bites everybody. So Big Betty is actually going to go live on a farm uh, to be a companion to a horse, and I'm hoping that works out well for her. Um, so therefore, I had to get Large Marge a buddy, so we ended up getting her a sister um, who we have been calling Nola because <laughs> she has a little, um, what do you call it, like a, a fleur-de-lis on her head. 
So that's my like pig story regarding you know uh, pet pigs on the farm, uh, which you know we also had the experience too of um, like you were saying we've butchered chickens before, but my partner was a vegetarian for 30 years. I used to be a vegetarian. Um, we feel very passionate about you know raising good livestock that have good lives that eat good food. Um, you know, that have the best life possible. And we kind of took the step into pig land with the intention that we would, we would have some meat pigs. And so that time yeah. came this October, um, right, you know, right at Samhain. So it actually felt very, you know, aligned with the wheel of the year. And um, yeah. we had people come out to our farm. So instead of bringing them to a slaughterhouse, they, uh, we had this, there's a lovely family farm actually in Vermont. So they came all the way out to where I am in New Hampshire to um, humanely slaughter them on our farm. And I spent time with them beforehand. I blessed them. I, you know, um, uh, we just made it a really beautiful sacred experience. I felt like it was a really um, full circle moment, I think, for our farm and sort of the path that we've been on. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just felt really, I don't know, I, I was so grateful. You know, we thanked the pigs for their sacrifice. Two of the pigs were, you know, not the friendliest pigs, so we didn't have this super hard time, but one was just a sweet little guy. And so, you know, he had lots of scratches. They were eating lots of good food. Um, and they, uh, you know, they died very, you know, quickly, humanely eating their favorite food. So I think if I was going to go out, that's maybe how I would want to go too. And uh, now we have a, a lot of beautiful meat that we are just like, uh, you know, it, it tastes amazing and you can feel like the love that was sort of poured into this. And, I just feel so grateful, like, every time I eat, which, you know, I try to be grateful for, you know, the things that I have and bless my food, but sometimes we kind of move off that practice a little bit or we forget a little or we, we're not so connected to where our food comes from. So this has been, like, super rewarding. I would do it again. I, you know, we were kind of like, you know, I won't get too graphic, but we had to, um, you know, bury some of the remains that were left uh, on the farm because the, the people who came you know, took the uh, the meat to the butcher, but that's not everything that goes right. to the butcher. So we had to bury them on our land, and that was very sacred. Uh, I told my partner, who didn't want to be really part of the process, that I could handle it, but it turns out I was not full strength and could not move the wheelbarrow, so they had to come help me. So I hope it wasn't too traumatizing for them, but uh, I think it was good. It was a, another t moment of face-to-face -face with mortality and food and, you know, the cycles of life and death. So I was really grateful for it. Wow. I, wow, I'm just so happy to hear your voice and, and know you're doing well and that things are going forward on the farm and, and you're getting back up to full strength. It's just so wonderful to hear. And, yeah, you understand what I was trying to express before about it being such a true pagan moment. I mean, it is like the yes. essence of everything. I believe in that moment, life and death, um, what mm -hmm. the earth gives us, you know, what the earth can take away from us. It's, it's a very full circle thing. Um, but in the time we have remaining, which isn't much, please tell me about what you're doing uh, as far as readings, where people can catch up with you. Are you writing? Tell me everything else. Yeah, so um, I you can find me at my website, daniellezion.com is a good place uh, if you're interested in readings. I do have some, although uh, it is a reduced schedule, so sometimes there's a little bit of a wait, but um, check it out because sometimes that, that ebbs and flows. 
Um, you can follow me on Facebook at uh, Danielle Diane Medium, um, and then same uh, on Instagram at Danielle Diane Medium. And yeah, so I, I had like two-thirds of a, a manuscript all kind of set to go, but I'm kind of in this place of like re-tearing it apart and, and playing with it a little bit. So I am writing. I, uh, I'm not sure when it's coming back, when it, when it will come out and what it exactly will look like, because I almost feel like it's kind of evolving at this point. And I've been really grateful that Llewellyn's been very, you know, flexible with me about, uh, you know, topic and, and what I am writing, because I think it's also been really cool to be inspired to write. Um, and really being in that that flow. Um, so like not writing when you're not into it and writing when you are. So I think I've been lucky in that regard. But I also, you know, it's been a healing time. So uh, you can look forward to something at some point, I guess is all I will say about book number two. Um, but it is in the works. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> but I do have, um, you can, act, so I'm actually going to be, you know, bar anything that may come up in the next, you know, Several weeks, so so TBD. But um, I'm I'm supposed to be teaching at Between the World Sacred Space in Maryland. So if you see me there, I will be very much in a mask and in a you know like a little head bubble thing. Um, but I'm very sure. excited, and I hope that that you know uh, that works out uh, as, as intended because um, it will be so amazing to be amongst people again. And while I have to be very careful, uh, I'm excited to teach there. I'm talking about um, ancestors, uh, obviously, probably, um, and you know. Uh, working with them, uh, partnering with them for healing and magic, one of my things I'm passionate about. So you can catch me there. I am teaching online at Temple Hearth, which is the Temple of Witchcraft um, online conference at the beginning of February. It's February 4th through 6th. And it kind of highlights uh, teachers in the temple community, but there are also guests, and it's open to everyone. So if you're interested in, in that, I'm giving a little lecture on um, how to give a mediumship reading. So if you're a psychic or you are a reader in any capacity or even a, you know energy worker, healer person, and you are, you know, kind of put on the spot or asked, you know, hey, you know, can you give me a mediumship reading? I know that makes a, a lot of readers uncomfortable. They don't feel, you know, confident that they're able to do it. We're going to talk about tips and techniques for you to, uh, to start doing that or to feel more confident because uh, I think that's something I get asked a lot. Um, I have yeah. Mortal Musings, which normally we do every month, which is kind of like a death cafe. It's basically, mm -hmm. uh, it's an offering through the Temple of Witchcraft. Elsa Elliott, who's a lead Scorpio minister, and I um, run them. They're just free open discussions on death, but really from a witchcraft and pagan perspective. So um, bring your questions, bring topics you want to talk about. You can find that on the templeofwitchcraft.com's uh, page, .org, I think. And um, I am hoping to resume mentoring and group development, uh, development groups and uh, sort of, you know, teaching in general come March. So that's sort of the time frame, bar any, you know, uh, anything that happens health-wise, but I think we're sort of, you know, knock on wood in kind of a good, you know, good flow. So um, I'm hoping to get back into kind of the teaching realm of, the, of things. Oh, and I'm, um, so I had Moth and Moon Studio. A lot of people know me from that. That is sort of evolving. We're kind of saying goodbye to Moth and Moon as we don't have any anticipation of opening another um, space. But I am kind of reincorporating and realigning under Seed and Sickle, which is open, which I'm launching in January. So it's not quite up there yet, but it will be SeedandSickle.com, and that's really encompassing, you know, the work that I do around herbalism and the farm, as well as death care, natural death care services and products. And um, you can also find out about my uh, my work doing readings and, and my work as an author. But uh, DanielDyan.com is still a good reference for that between now and then, and, and moving forward too. Oh, long ramble, but yes, that's what I'm up to. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. Weren't we just talking about the fact that we're supposed to slow down and maybe rest more? I don't know. Somewhere along the line, I think we missed that part of the message, Danielle. Yeah. I mean, Well, it's been good for me. I know it sounds like a lot, but like letting go of, um, you know, feeling like I have to organize others with Moth and Moon has been really um, a a hard thing for me to let go of, but something that I'm like, nope, this is the right decision for me. So really it's at my own pace. I'm only, you know, obligated to me. And obviously, you know, I want to make sure that I'm committing to the, the things that I'm part of, but I feel much more in control of things. It's really, you know, um, it, it feels good to be really centered around the flow of how I do things and not be so like, ah, you know, locked into something. So, and I'm excited and passionate about all these things. Like that's been something that I've really focused hard on that these are the things I want to do. And it gives me enough time to, you know, do all the stuff that I want to do around, you know, developing home and hearth and creating a really, you know, lovely, wonderful home for, you know, whatever comes next for us. That's awesome. I just want to impress upon folks who are who are attending or coming back into attending actual in-person events to please be respectful if somebody is masked because you don't know if they are uh, dealing with an illness or needing to be extra cautious. I think there's a segment of the population that thinks, oh, well, it's all over now. We should all, you know, be out there without a mask or or what have you, and I would just ask folks to please, in these public spaces, be respectful of space of other folks and of their limitations as far as necessarily hugging or touching or, you know, any of that, because we're still in a, we're still in a pandemic, and, I, you know, and not everyone wears a sign on their chest that says, hi, I have an autoimmune disease, please back the fuck up. Um, yep. So just a reminder to, to be respectful of, of other folks um, who may be dealing with more than what meets the eye. But anyway, off soapbox yes. for now. Danielle, thank you so much for coming on and hanging out, and I'm just so glad you're getting back to full strength because you're needed and you're definitely loved. And thank you again, and I will speak to you again very soon, I hope. Yes, thank you so much, and it's been a pleasure to come and talk to you, and I appreciate all your support over this, you know, really hectic, wild ride I've been on. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, absolutely, and uh, I will definitely be looking for you in the new year and rebooking and blessed you all, and just keep getting stronger. Yes, thank you as well. I so appreciate that, and yes, blessed you all, Merry Solstice, all the fun things. It's that time of year. All right. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go for now. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend and week, and we will speak soon. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Rena. All righty. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. Um, It's going to be a very weird on again, off again until the new year. Um, There's still a bunch of shows to go this coming week and next week. And on the 1st of January, we are doing an 11 a.m. morning blessing. Uh, So tune in for that. It's going to be fun. Have a wonderful week. Talk to you all soon. Bye-bye.